Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His kingdom. God, thank you for Linnea. Thank you for her heart for community, for her um, deep understanding of community. I just pray that you would, um, yeah, challenge us to trust you. Amen. Morning. How is everybody? Yeah. I don't suppose I need to hear from every, every single one of you when I say that, but a smattering of responses will do. Everyone is at least conscious. This is good. All right. <clears throat> so we are going to dive into a passage in Matthew that is quite famous. Peter, brazen, foolhardy Peter who actually accomplished a great deal for the kingdom of God and God and Jesus saw fit to build the foundation of his church upon, decides to walk on water. <clears throat> so I'm going to need someone's help here to give me a 15-minute warning. When 15 minutes are reached, just kind of like put your hand up, let me know. I'm getting close to deadline land. Okay. Um, Let's pray just for a minute and uh, ask God to use me. <laughs> so, all right. Lord God, I thank you so much that you truly do Welcome um, to the Basilea Hollywood guild Podcast, vessels of clay. A community with, of friends committed um, to the message, the gold of, of Jesus your word, and his kingdom. Um, the enduring presence of your Holy Spirit and the transformative work of your kingdom. I pray that whatever I would say today, would land in the right place by the good pleasure of your Holy Spirit and actually speak to people where they're at. God, the issues of faith and doubt in today's world are more germane than ever. And so I just pray that your um, stupendous, fierce intelligence would pry back our reluctance and actually be able to help your word land in the right spot in everyone's soul, heart, and mind. The name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So I'm going to give you a basic thesis concept, not a big one. Like Peter, let's have courage and faith enough to risk doubt, but always in the presence of Jesus. Okay? All right. Like Peter, let's have courage and faith enough, not enormous, enough to risk doubt, but always in the presence of Jesus. Let's read Matthew 14, 22 through 33, and I will read it. Uh, we don't have a slide, because we don't. Oh, yay, okay. Um, join me if you like. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, 
buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Word of God. All right. A little bit of background just for a second. That moment where Jesus made them get into the boat, my guess is the disciples didn't want to leave because at that moment in, in John, there's a verse that says the crowd had planned basically on forcing Jesus to be like a king or a political leader. They wanted him to kind of um, step up to a role that he didn't want to take on. So he, he was very popular at that moment because he had fed 5,000 people. I mean, a gathering of that proportion is pretty intense, especially in those times. So we have to bear in mind there's a lot of momentum, and this man is very popular. I mean, he had numbers that Trump would envy, I suppose, at this point. And um, so the disciples were very excited. Everyone was very excited, and Jesus breaks up the party. I'm not like that. That's not what we're talking about. So he forces them into the boat. They're not too happy about this. And then Jesus himself goes up in the mountainside because you might surmise that he recognizes what kind of leader he's supposed to be and what his, his task is. And it's not very palatable. It's difficult to think about turning away from popularity and what everyone else wants you to do and taking on a task from God that is less than, less than easy and less than obvious. Right? So he needs to go be with God and almost like hear his voice directly. So he, sent, he breaks up the party and leaves alone. <laughs> um, and then, meanwhile, his disciples who had obeyed him gotten, you know, into the boat are in danger, right? So um, just a little bit of, of that. That's an interesting note that um, actually is parenthetical to the main point, which is, remember, have courage and faith enough to risk doubt in the presence of Jesus. So um, the first thing that we notice, I think, in this particular story is that Faith cannot rightly be called faith if there's not risk involved, right? So the first step that the disciples kind of unwittingly uh, take, because they're, they've been with Jesus for a little while, is they just obey him. He says, get in the boat. And they're like, oh, we don't want to. Fine, we'll get in the boat. But then actual risk of their lives kind of comes onto the stage. And um, we have this example of this one person out of these 12 who takes a, a kind of directional push into danger that's different than everyone else and dares risk. 
So in a, a way you could say that risk activates faith, faith and trust cannot grow without it. So there was something about Peter where he, um, he was willing to activate something in him by stepping into danger. Um, and like Peter, who had the invitation to sit tight in the boat, or he had the option of doing that and wait things out, he, we have the chance to instead look at risk and take it on, but always at Jesus' invitation, because that's an interesting little exchange, right? Um, Peter needs to know it's him. Um, and I, part of the reason for that is that... Um, <clears throat> Oh, and there's just, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of tension in this moment as well. Um, you can even, you know, these kinds of risks, I feel like, are easy to read about in the Bible. We, you know, we're accustomed to kind of placing these concepts or examples between the covers of, of the Bible in a kind of like traditional sense, but if you think about it, Jesus himself sweat blood in the garden. There are these moments of intense doubt and intense difficulty wrestling with faith. And uh, I recently came upon this quote by a Spanish uh, philosopher. His last name is Unamano, um, Miguel Unamamo. And um, he says, those who believe that they believe in God, but without passion in the heart and without anguish of mind, without occasional uncertainty and without occasional doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. And if we think about the emotional dynamic range of Jesus himself, he experienced every one of these, kind, and it's recorded for us in a way, so that we don't have to follow in the path of some kind of, kind of wooden ideal who always did the right thing and always had exactly the right emotions. God gave us an example, a compassionate extension of himself in human form to let us figure out our way through all of these things by his help. Um, so Peter himself experienced this tension be between belief and healthy, reasonable skepticism when he decides to step out the boat. Um, but if you think about it, Peter already had direct experience, past experience with Jesus' power over the elements. Um, but it's quite another thing to literally lean into it. So the past example is in Matthew 8, right? Um, 8, 23 through 27, um, when there's the storm and Jesus is calming it, right? So when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And uh, they were afraid. Um, and they woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds in the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. So an interesting contrast between these two, right? Um, there's almost a progression. Think about their responses as well. They keep emphasizing what kind of man is this? And the final response in the further example is, this man is God. <laughs> so something has happened, right? There's kind of a progression. Um, so Peter had seen this before. 
So a lot of us tend to think of Peter as being brash, kind of this guy that just does reckless things. Wait a minute. He had a past experience with Jesus where Jesus said, yeah, I'm in charge of this stuff. And so Peter kind of says, really? Well, maybe I could do that kind of thing. Wait a minute. I've seen this before. So there's a kind of logical extension of past experience. And this is kind of one of the main points I want to make, is that trust grows. It grows by experience. But you always need to take risk, and you need to deal with real doubt. But in the end, you have a more robust trust. And you get to the point where you can see Jesus as God, not just a fancy man who does fancy things. And that's powerful to have in life, but you have to be willing to risk that kind of doubt, you know? Um, So what's also important is to recognize that, to a certain extent, Peter pushed it to the point where he failed. And there's something really beautiful about that. Um, There's a kind of daring, but again, I need to emphasize, this is in the presence of Jesus. You are unsafe apart from the presence of Jesus. So in your doubt, you always need to invite his presence. Because Peter was only rescued, he was within arm reach of Jesus. And he's like standing on the water, you can imagine it. And all of a sudden, he kind of notices the situation. (laughs) And uh, inch by inch, starts to go down. But he's within arm reach of Jesus. And that's the important thing. Like, as you notice what's actually going on and what your faith is actually standing against, make sure to stay near to him. Okay. um, Wait, what? 15 minutes? Okay. Uh, So let's take just a second and dissect trust for a second. Um, Trust is a learned skill. This is one of the main things I I hope to convince you of. But it grows and shrinks based on the worthiness of its object, in this case, Jesus. We trust other kinds of things, you know, getting on an airplane. We trust a lot of things when we get on an airplane. Then when it breaks down, our trust kind of goes, right? So it's always based on the worthiness of its object. The object of our trust must desire it and be aware of it. Think if the pilot and all the mechanics didn't know that you were trusting them, didn't want you to trust them, this would be a problem, right? Um, Otherwise, responsibility isn't exchanged, right? So without awareness and some level of relationship or communication between the one who trusts and the one who wants our trust, there's no responsibility. So when someone or something invites trust, they take on the load of that trust. So trust is like an incredibly valuable object given to every one of us. We have a cache of trust. We have a kind of little treasure house of trust. And we can do with it whatever we please. So faith, which is invited by God, and think about this moment. Jesus says, come. And he says, come to all of us. Doubt, perhaps, is the moment, and maybe it's valuable, just putting it out there, when Peter says, is that you, Jesus? Is that really you? Because if it is, I know what to do. But I need to make sure. So 
That kind of trust shifts the ethical responsibility for the safekeeping of our trust from us to Jesus. That's why we say we place our trust on someone or in something. It's almost like, wait, go somewhere else. So if Jesus asks for the responsibility of bearing the weight of our trust, it's only right that we verify to the best of our ability that he merits it and is strong enough to carry it, to keep it safe, and perhaps even grow it. This is the due diligence of doubt. It vets the strength and worthiness of the one who requests our trust. And what's interesting about Jesus in particular is he always goes first. He never asks us to go where he hasn't been. And that's part of his worthiness profile. <laughs> to the point of death and beyond it, into eternal life. He says, follow me. And that's part of his, uh, I mean, that's part of his worthiness, absolutely. So what I want to emphasize is that doubt is a tool. You own it. It doesn't own you. It's there for a reason. Don't let it get out of place. Rightly used, it can help us to know where to place our trust and then to keep it and keep it and keep it. So, I want to empower you to say that you have authority over your doubt. Don't let it run out of bounds. Doubt, however, is natural. It's there for a reason. But self-reliance is also there. <laughs> Confidence in the majority. Trust in God, however, no matter how small, is a gift from God. It's supernatural. It's not just natural. And so it's very, very dear. It's precious. So that's why, strangely enough, it might be possible to legitimately interpret Jesus' phrase, you have little faith, as both a rebuke and perhaps a term of endearment. Consider what an amazing thing that Peter did. He walked on water. And what progress he had made compared to the last time that they had had this sort of situation. Not only that, Jesus is hugging him when he says it. He's holding him above the water and saying, you of little faith. It's a term of endearment. Think about maybe how a parent hugs their child when they're tearful and they've just had a tumble attempting the first steps that they've ever walked. And they say, why did you fall, my little rug rat? I mean, it sounds like an insult, but it's not. You have little faith. It'll grow. That's why Jesus is patient with us. Trust is an acquired skill. And you cannot fully grow in stature and in trust without experience. I don't have enough time for the rest. But what I want you to do is I want you to pray with me through some parts of Psalm 22. And the reason I want to do that is because Jesus himself dealt with doubt by crying out on, when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was referring to Psalm 22. 
And if you read Psalm 22 through, it's this beautiful vacillation between a kind of clenched-fisted fearfulness and a release and a declaration of God's greatness and then fear and then release and then fear and then release. And it ends with this triumphant note of God's ultimate purposes. And Jesus himself, in those final moments, was not beyond this. But where he ended was, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, which is also where he began. So let's take a minute and hold up to God our doubts, maybe some of the ones we're really wrestling with right now, and pray these words of scripture with me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted They trusted, and you delivered them. In you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Well, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust in you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for my trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks in my mouth. You lay me on the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, and they've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me, and they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. 
for from you comes my praise to the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear you. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May their hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat, and they will worship before him, and shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity will serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Amen. Lord God, who is like you? That you would come to us in flesh. Show us how to be human, and show us how to draw near to you in all of our doubt, in all of our moments of bright, shining faith and courage, as well as the mortifying moments when we turn away from you. Father, thank you that Jesus' words on the cross showed to us that he was choosing faith in the midst of doubt. I thank you for Peter. I thank you for his example and that we have it written down for us. But I thank you also for the living presence of your Holy Spirit in our heart. Where in those moments of doubt, we have a very present help And you can remind us of our authority over our own doubt. Thank you for giving us that authority. I thank you for the tool of doubt that we can use it to measure you, Jesus. And you volunteer to be measured. You're not humiliated by that. You aren't angered. You are gentle. You want us to grow in trust. And when you say to us, oh, you have little faith, it's often because we're doubting about things that we normally think we can accomplish on our own. You want to do it for us. Sometimes it's about things we definitely cannot do on our own. And we rely on you to be a God who cares and sees not only for the small things in our lives, but also for the things that we most definitely cannot do on our own. Help us in our unbelief. Give us experiences where our trust grows. We rely on you for it. You are worthy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.